You're listening to Fascinating Women with Mark Lauren. And now, Mark Lauren. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Laurie, and you're listening to Fascinating Women. We have a lot of fun with this podcast. Normally, I spend my time photographing incredible women doing exciting things for themselves or gifts. But today, I get to photograph, to not photograph, to talk to <laughs> Lori uh, Gilbertson. Um, she has an amazing background. She's um, kind of moved up from uh, lawyer legal stuff into doing things for the movie industry as a consultant and now she has her own business which is communication and we're going to fill in some of those blanks about what how she got there and welcome Lori. Thank you so much for having me Mark. <laughs> it's going to be delightful. Yes. So you've had a long and interesting journey but mostly in the same field of the legal ease world is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, um, I grew up in a family of lawyers. My okay. father is a litigator. He is now 80 years old. And although he could have retired years ago, he's mm -hmm. still going. Um, so I had a pretty incredible example. <laughs> and there were lots of arguments around the kitchen table. Um, and I really learned how to be an advocate for myself and for the ideas that I believed in. And not surprisingly, that led me to law school. So my um, very first day in cr my criminal law class mm -hmm. in law school, I was hearing these stories from the professor about, mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there really is nowhere in the law that the stories, I think, are more compelling than in criminal law. Right. And all these crazy things that happen. And then also the idea that there's so much just these lofty concepts of justice mm -hmm. involved. And that very first day I was hooked and I knew <laughs> this is what I want to do. And yeah, that's where my journey took me to becoming a prosecutor in New York City. Mm -hmm. And that's where I spent the majority of my legal career. Yeah, I keep on thinking of law and order. It keeps on coming yeah. to my mind. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> what are they? I think it's um, 20, what, 20, 25 years? They've been yeah, going. They so. still got offshoots. They're kind of fascinating with them. Yeah. So go, just popping, I always get fascinated by people's childhood because I think that's mm -hmm. where, where it shapes them. So your your parents are always in law when you were growing up. Well, not my parents. My mother kind of, uh, you know, dragged into it just by having to listen to my father talk about okay. all his cases. And right. um, my father is a patent litigator. Okay. So, you know, the most kind of arcane and technical engineering <laughs> concepts are interesting to him, mm -hmm. um, but not always to the rest of us and certainly not always to my mother. <laughs> um, but yes, my, my father, you know, who I greatly admire, mm -hmm. um, was an engineer. He was right. an electrician engineer by training and then worked in the patent office then went to law school at night and became a litigator so I, I kind of always grew up with this image of this very hard-working self-made you know mm -hmm. intelligent creative person um, and it was something I really grew to emulate that, that's fascinating because that's you know, we all have our start someplace like we have to have our heroes mm -hmm. and it's cool that clearly your dad is was one of your you know primary heroes to how it works with it um, was he, did you automatically go, I want to be what my dad was? Or did you kind of do as you grow up different ventures? Yeah, different, oh, different ventures for sure. I'll say that, you know, my, my dad has always been one of my heroes, as has mm -hmm. my mom. So, you know, we can talk about that a little later, yeah. too. But, yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is, I, you know, I always grew up as a very free thinker, very independent. Mm -hmm. And so when I graduated from law school, I knew that I wanted to be a criminal prosecutor in New York City. Right. That was the job I wanted. 
that was the city I wanted. That was where I was going to be. And that was what I was going to do. And my dad said to me, why are you doing that? You know, Mm -hmm. you could go to a law firm, make a whole lot more money. It doesn't really matter the kind of law. And, you know, you asked, did I want to do exactly Mm -hmm. what he did? I I don't have the capability to be an engineer (laughs) and be a patent attorney. That is way beyond me. Um, You know, what I wanted to do was was to work somewhere where I felt like every single day Mm -hmm. I had the ability to make someone's life a little bit better in in a small way or a big way for people Mm -hmm. that were really kind of either entangled in the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. uh, were the victims of crimes, you know, and just making Mm -hmm. them their way through the maze of the system to try Mm -hmm. to get some justice for them and their families. Mm -hmm. And so when my dad said, just go to a law firm, I thought, yeah, I don't want to do that and wait 10 years to get to try a a case. I want to be in there now, you know, that instant gratification. I want to start my work now. And so that's what I did. So you, so what was your, so you start off as a prosecutor or a, right. Yeah, that was, yeah, I I started off as a, um, at the Queens County district attorney's office, Mm -hmm. which is, um, the, one of the largest boroughs. I think they, Mm -hmm. that that in Brooklyn were the largest boroughs at the time in New York city. Um, and started with a class of about 30 other people Mm -hmm. as an assistant district attorney Mm -hmm. and they throw you right in. So, you know, right after you get about a month of training, you are in court representing, you know, the people of the state of New York. And that that's a pretty um, it's a pretty heady thing to go in and and say that. So, I mean, is there education before Like, you hit some legal school before that? Then you start in that stage or you just walk up and say, hey, I want to be in. <laughs> no, you know, once I had gone through three years of law school, okay, yep. um, I then did a clerkship where mm-hmm. I worked with with uh, two judges for two mm-hmm. years. So I got right. some more training mm-hmm. being in the courtroom and seeing how things work and, and how you resolve cases and uh, learning to write, you know, very well and, and learning to deal with uh, the different issues that would come up. Mm-hmm. And then um passed the bar, you know, for Mm -hmm. New York City, was then had to be licensed to practice, uh, come into the office. And, you know, a lot of it is you do get that kind of hands-on training for about Mm -hmm. a month is how we were doing it. And then you get ongoing training, you know, lectures, Mm -hmm. um, different classes. But a lot of it was kind of what they say, you know, trial by fire. You just get thrown in (laughs) and, you know, there you go. You start working. And because you start on the cases and things Mm -hmm. that are much lower level, you know, you start on a shoplifting case. You don't start on a homicide. <laughs> but I saw on TV, that's what they do. <laughs> you know, TV is really interesting. And right? I just have to say, you, you sure. said in the beginning that I was working as a consultant for movies. I have not worked as a consultant for movies, although that would be a blast. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I do do a lot of work in, in the media and right. media training for my okay. clients so that they can kind of get out there and, and put their best selves forward. forward. And uh, I also did work in television for quite a bit in New York. <laughs> that is cool. So what did your mom bring to your personality? Oh, wow. Um, you know, you get, wow, you just get deep with this right away. <laughs> I think we're seven minutes in and, and you're going. Um, you know, I I think for, for my life, I have probably spent a good bit of my life emulating my father in the work world and my mother at home. Okay. Um, my mother is, is just an amazing person. She mm-hmm. is empathetic and caring and Mm -hmm. kind um, and had very strong ideas about how to raise us. I come from a family of four, two boys, two girls, and I'm the oldest. And 
My mother always wanted to raise children who were very independent thinking and who wanted to, um, you know, and, and taught us we, we could do anything. You know, we could, she wanted us to go out in the world and just be whoever we wanted to be, no matter what that was. You know, it wasn't, you have to be a lawyer or mm -hmm. you have to be a doctor. You have to follow a particular path. She's right. very open-minded about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's brought um, some of that to me, mm -hmm. um, you know, as well as I, I always tried to emulate um, her empathy, her compassion, mm -hmm. her kindness. And she's also just she's funny you know she's just super smart and and funny so I don't think I got that you know I I, I make a joke about you know every now and then that mm -hmm. I I'm funny and my kids write it down and like okay you're funny mom six months later you know maybe you'll be funny again so um but you know she was just so incredibly supportive all the time for for my father of course and then for all of us kids in whatever path we wanted to take mm -hmm. and um i hope that i've i've gotten some of that from her i suspect you probably have what would be the the um the, the most effective technique she would do to to give you those kind of skills she always from from the time we were you know from the time we probably even had language mm -hmm. um spoke to us as intelligent human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, she never spoke to us in baby talk or like we were just, you know, kids and we couldn't be a part of things. She's always just open and honest. And I think that gets ingrained, you know, mm -hmm. even as an adult, if you don't remember yeah. it, I think there's something in you that when you, you feel that you are treated in a way as if you are a very valuable person, you start yeah. to feel like a really valuable yeah. person. Um, and the other thing she did, and my mother will tell this story, is that she wanted all of us kids to say no. She, she wanted us to have that kind of critical thinking to say mm -hmm. no. And she said that when I was about, I don't know, two or three, she asked me something or did something and I said no. And you know, most moms wouldn't like that. <laughs> and she, Loved it. She said, I'm doing something right. I'm raising my kids to say no. That's cool. I just saw recently an interview with Tom Holland from the Spider-Man fame. And he was talking about an education that he learned. And one of the things he picked up was at this day, that seemed kind of late in the game, nonetheless, was that no is a complete sentence. Right. I thought that was, was a brilliant, a brilliant kind of section. Now, one of the things we've encountered was that um, the, the difference in conversation on the dinner table from, um, I guess, less aspiring conversations where, where people are, 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 have got, you know, TV is more of the conversation than else. But the, the people who aspire to success, their dinner conversations are different. What were your like growing up, your conversations around the table? Oh, gosh. Um... You know, I think they they continued to change as, you know, we were six of us in a family. So, you know, as everybody kind of grew up, they, they would constantly kind of change and get more interesting depending on what people were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were a lot of conversations about current events. Mm -hmm. There were conversations that were about, you know, 
family and, and kind of things in our own family. And there, there was not really any topic that was off limits. Mm -hmm. There really wasn't, you know, politics, education, um, you know, went from that kind of very interesting kind of thing to maybe the mundane mm -hmm. of, you know, what are we doing in school and, uh, you know, who's, who might be in trouble for what? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you, you'd mentioned that you'd learned to present yourself at your dinner tables. How did, how, how did that come across? I'd say more, um, more advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we would get, I, I don't mean to give the impression, you know, that, uh, that every single night around the dinner table was some wonderful philosophical <laughs> discussion. Cause I, I do recall not all of it being like that for sure. Right. Um, <laughs> so not that, but the times that, you know, I, I think we would talk about current events or, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up outside of Washington, DC. Right. Um, so politics, mm -hmm. that was the language, you know, I mm -hmm. grew up in, in junior high and high school, you know, being able to clearly name, you know, every member of the cabinet and probably their undersecretaries also, because mm -hmm. that was just what we read about every day. Right. That's, you know, some of what we would talk about in school. I went to school with people, you know, who were, you know, connected. Everybody was connected in some way to politics <laughs> right. in D.C. Yep. So this was just the language. So there's a lot of conversations about political ideas mm -hmm. when I think sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we would disagree about things. So I learned to advocate. I learned that, you know, just because my dad was a really great lawyer and mm -hmm. was used to killing it in court <laughs> didn't mean that I couldn't have my ideas and yes. put them right out there. Back and forth. That's yeah. Good. Of all the conversations I've had, this is the first time I've had someone talk about the advocating for the self. I, I love oh. that. I love that viewpoint, that terminology. And it's something that's clearly done you well. What would be the three beliefs that guide you when you, you look inside and go, this, these are the things, my non-negotiables, these are the things that get me places. What would they be? I would start with um, empathy. Mm -hmm. I think that um, I kind of lump them a bit together. Empathy, kindness, and compassion. They're kind mm -hmm. of different things. Um, but I was, you know, in a profession mm -hmm. as a criminal prosecutor that is not necessarily considered empathetic. Um, yes, that's the not time. the first word that right? leaps into my mind when <laughs> I think it. of that, that uh, stream of, of work. Yeah, you know, you really thought of this kind of, you know, um, you know, badass in the courtroom, super <laughs> strong, right? Always yeah. coming at people, you're going to mm -hmm. put everybody in jail. And I mean, that's just not, not how it works to be mm -hmm. really good at it. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think I, I tried to lead oftentimes with, with empathy, with compassion, mm -hmm. with kindness, both professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's what good relationships are built out of. Yeah. So I, I give that as number one. Okay. Um, I'd say another guiding principle for me certainly has been um, just the importance of family. Mm -hmm. um, both my family growing up and now my own family. Um, you know, and, and the importance of kind of stepping back from a career and a profession, not necessarily stepping back to not do anything, but stepping back to kind of get a good view of and a good mm -hmm. perspective of really what your priorities are. Mm -hmm. um, and that has always really just come in there um, as something that's super important. You know, if I'm sitting around doing work and my, my as I was last night and, mm -hmm. and my son said, mom, put away the computer. You know, I want to do this with you. 
I will get that moment back in front of the computer. I will never get that moment back, especially with a teenager, which is what I I have three of them. So when they say, mom, I want to spend time with you, you got to do it. You know, right. And the last one that that comes in for me, too, um, is really trying to be guided by a principle that there there is no set path Mm -hmm. um that change is going to be a certain constant in life and trying to get somewhat comfortable with that um you know i think when in my life i have thought that i had to go down a certain path and perhaps it didn't work out that way. Being very narrowly focused just did not serve me. Um, being open to change and things that it could bring um, served me better. So especially now um, in the world we're living in mm-hmm. where, gosh, change has just become, you know, just what we live and breathe. <laughs> yep. Um you know, and living, you know, also in, in my career where there's a lot of change and, and in my family life where I've got, you know, three teenagers who, you know, changes their middle name. Everything's always changing <laughs> for them. So that has been a a third late coming <laughs> principle to my life. One I wish I had had a lot earlier, mm-hmm. but I'm learning. Right. How long ago did you step away from the courtroom? I left um, the prosecution world mm-hmm. um, about 10 to 15 years ago. Right. I didn't leave the law then, but I left that particular world. Right. I went on to um, do some work with uh, white collar crime mm-hmm. and worked with the stock exchanges in New York mm-hmm. City doing some financial crimes. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a little bit. And then I went on and I worked in legal education. So I was still working as an attorney, but I wasn't mm-hmm. practicing in court. <laughs> How did it feel to leave something that, that you built such a career on? Um, very mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt great because I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. I was completely burnt out. I was sitting in court one day, picking a jury for a very serious robbery case. Right. And I thought, I'm bored. Wow. And you should not be bored doing that. <laughs> no. You know, it was, I mean, I was focused and doing what I need to do, but I thought this, this, I'm done. You know, I am just done. Mm -hmm. So, um, it felt good to kind of leave and release that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of emotion. If you are Mm -hmm. an empathetic person, it can just eat you alive. It really can. Um, it's a lot of pressure and, and I, I just Mm -hmm. needed a break. Mm -hmm. So there was that, but it was a tremendous part of my identity. So it was hard to step away, um, and I missed it. You know, I <laughs> stepped away, and I didn't miss being in the courtroom, right. but I missed the world mm-hmm. of talking about cases, and talking about trial strategy, <laughs> you know, talking about, you know, different things lawyers should be doing in the courtroom, right. or what did this particular crime mean, or mm-hmm. who did this, you know, that that the leak, you know, the, the law hasn't figured it out yet, but who do I think committed this? So all of that stuff led me to um, try my hand at doing some legal analyst work. That's mm-hmm. what I was just kind of at home one day and thought, like, I really miss sitting around talking about all this stuff like I used to do with my colleagues. So right. let me do a little networking, get myself on television, then I can talk about it with other people on TV. So 
that that did ameliorate some of the difficulty in, in kind of giving up that part of it. So that was a TV part of your world? Is it, you're on it TV doing legal apps? Yeah. What kind of, of legal work did you do on TV? Well, I um, started doing some commentary on court TV. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing about court TV back then was um, they didn't do stuff in sound bites. Mm-hmm. They would have you on for about two hours right. and you would watch a case that was mm-hmm. going on. So if, you know, the OJ case was going on, that's what we watched and we commented on it. Okay. Um, if there were other cases going on, that's what we watched and we commented on. So. For me, it was kind of like, oh, this is what I used to do at work. <laughs> I just happened to be doing it with a camera, and they made me look pretty. So, <laughs> so I just get a yeah. vision of, of it kind of going like a sportscaster booth, like the, like the color of the sportscast booth. Okay, the guy in the jersey is going. I just it's <laughs> kind of flashed in. Mark, it was a little bit of color and play by play. You got it. <laughs> I think of, you got exactly the right image. <laughs> that is great. For, <laughs> What quotes guide you, inspirational quotes that you, you that you come across and go, oh, that means something to me, that resonates? Yeah, here's here's one that is one of my all-time favorites, and this mm-hmm. is from Howard Thurman, who is um, a civil rights leader and an educator um, in the U.S., and um, I try to get this wording correct. What he said was, um, don't ask what the world needs. Mm-hmm. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs are more people who have come alive. Oh, that's, I've never heard that one. That is really nice. Yeah. I really like that. It's, um, we do, if once you find your passion in it, and there's mm-hmm. so much diversity and it becomes both easy and exciting because there's nothing like dealing with a person who's got passion. Yeah, you know, yeah. It just It just touches you. Yeah, but, so that's, that's one of my favorites. Do you have a second one or is that your lead course? <sighs> Well, you know, there there is a, a Mary Oliver quote that mm-hmm. is completely overused everywhere, but it's beautiful. You may know the one I'm thinking of, but it's beautiful, um, you know, which is, you know, what are you going to do with your wild, your one wild and precious life? Oh, that is good. Uh, and I haven't heard that one yet either. So it's, haven't. It's, no. it, it, you will see it among inspirational yeah. quotes on social media sometimes, but it is, you know, that really... Um, resonates with me because Mm -hmm. I think we get, um, especially in the legal field, especially Mm -hmm. among professionals who you would, um, unlike what you do, would not necessarily consider creative, although Mm -hmm. I consider law to be incredibly creative. And I I try to bring that out in my clients who I work (laughs) with. Um, But, you know, this is, it just emphasizes the idea of just being present you know, just, mm-hmm. just really looking at your priorities and what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do that makes you feel alive so you can kind of put that out in the world? Oh, so I love it. Sweet. What personality trait do you wish you had? Oh, gosh. I wish I wasn't a worrier. <laughs> I am such a worrier. Doesn't do anything, doesn't help anything, <laughs> no. right? Yeah. I, wish I, I wish I wasn't that. Um, and yeah, that's that's the main one. I wish I could be, and my kids would tell you they wish this too. Mm-hmm. Just a little more zen, a little less type A, a little more zen. <laughs> so I'm trying. I meditate. Yeah. I do have a meditation practice. I even started a group for lawyers of meditation right. practice. Like I'm 
my brother actually does that for a living. He is mm -hmm. a, um, a trainer. He's a meditation and mindfulness expert. And I just try to bring all his Zen to me because people don't even believe we're related. <laughs> <laughs> that is so wild. What is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. I could tell you about what I think is the best advice I received that I didn't take. How about okay, that? That's cool would that, that work? Yeah, it would work okay. And on that note, I'd encourage people listening, you know, don't don't dismiss advice just because it, it maybe doesn't resonate with you at the time. It might be the right thing. So when mm -hmm. I was um, deep in the thick of working as an assistant mm -hmm. district attorney and I was right. doing the law and order thing and I was mm -hmm. in court every single day and I was starting to feel really to the point of being burnt out, but I had mm -hmm. no idea what to do next. Mm -hmm. This was my dream job. Right. You know, I had no idea what to do next. And my mother said to me, um, why don't you take a sabbatical? Why don't you just take six months off? Mm -hmm. You know, they love you at work. They'll let you do it. They'll let you come back mm -hmm. and just take a breath, you know, mm -hmm. step back from work. You're working so much. Take a breath, enjoy yourself, start talking to people, start exploring and just kind of figure out what might be next for you. And I was so caught it just in that whirlwind, you know, of, of working and working and working. I thought, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Take six months off. Like <laughs> there'd be no paycheck there. You know, I wouldn't go. What would I do with myself? Because yeah. mm -hmm. I was such a workaholic at that point. And um, I did not take her advice. Mm -hmm. And it was really excellent advice. And I wish I had. I wish I had because I think I needed to. Um, I can look back now and understand mm -hmm. why I didn't at the time. Right. Um, and it is something I did later, mm -hmm. but I didn't at the time that she gave it. And I thought it was when I look back now, I think that's some of the best advice I ever got. When do you think a person who doesn't have someone telling them that, what do you think would be happening in their lives that they would go, this is a moment I should take a sabbatical? Like, how would they recognize? Because you clearly, mm -hmm. you know, didn't take it when you should have, but you did recognize the point later on. So, what would be the moment where a person could go, "I'm going to take Lori's advice and take a sabbatical <laughs> right now"? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's two different kinds of, of thing mm -hmm. about a sabbatical, right? Okay. One could be where you just need a break and and you're going to take a break and explore other things you know much like university professors do or, or some other professions and and you go off and you um you know maybe indulge in some things you don't get a chance to right. take a vacation all that and then you come back to your job so right. that's one thing so i guess at times if you're really feeling like you love what you do but you need mm -hmm. to take a break that's mm -hmm. a great time mine was the second kind mm -hmm. where I knew I needed to make a change, but I didn't know how to do it. So I think if you are in a situation where you feel like there's a need for some really big change mm -hmm. or some change at all, stepping out of the situation is such a, that kind of sabbatical is mm -hmm. such a good way to get perspective on it mm -hmm. and start to, to make those changes that, you know, I encourage people you know, that, that I work with to, to make little changes, mm -hmm. you know, small, these small baby steps. If you couldn't take a six month sabbatical, mm -hmm. how about taking half an hour every day and just doing something you love? There's, um, a poet by the name mm -hmm. of David White. He's a right. Welch poet. I don't know if you know of him. 
um, who, who's written some beautiful books, and he was working in the computer world, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be a poet. And so he said, every day I'm going to spend some time on my poetry mm-hmm. to try to make this dream come true. And so he, every day he did. And eventually he got to the point where now they call him the corporate poet. And he goes into various <laughs> corporations and he brings poetry, right. you know, to these environments where you would never think poetry would be. And it's a really beautiful thing. Um, his books are incredible. He writes all about work and identity. So he took a small sabbatical every day into the world where he wanted to be. So I'd encourage that. That's cool. That's called The Art of Kazan, by the way. The Art of Kazan. Kazan. Beautiful. Yeah, it uh, started or first became noble in World War II with Japan. And actually with, with uh, Americans did it when they were, they were ramping up for the war. And they made small changes in existing um, factories to create their war machine. And then in Japan, they did small changes to bring up their culture and bring up their stuff back. And then it's now become quite a process to clean things up or or, or whatever approach you want to work, which is kind of cool. What kind of things are you curious about now? What what makes you um, interesting or stuff that you look back and go, where's that thread go? What rabbit holes do you go down? Um, I'm a huge reader. Yeah. Always have been. Um, I think when I was little, I used to say like the, you know, the, the whole world could go up in flames around me when I'm reading okay. and that's still the case. So, you know, I definitely go down the rabbit hole of various books and authors all the time. Um, I love first novels. Mm-hmm. I, I often feel like, you know, the, the author is pouring their heart and soul into that in a way that you don't always see in later, later work. So I will find an author I like and just go, 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 mm-hmm. um, mostly fiction. Mm-hmm. But another um, kind of rabbit hole I've gone down in now that I am an entrepreneur and own mm-hmm. a business is that whole world of business books. Right. So um, <laughs> I've got a stack, you know, yay high that that I need to delve into. Um, you know, as a, another thing that I, I've kind of really, you know, started learning about more mm-hmm. is the field I'm in now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have kind of translated all of my my threads of communication Mm -hmm. into now coaching others Mm -hmm. on communicating. My training was very real world, you know, (laughs) being in a courtroom every single day, being in front of juries, grand juries, Mm -hmm. judges, it it was real world training in addition to some classes. Um, And then on television, also real Mm -hmm. world training. So I love just diving into figuring out why the things that I do that work and Mm -hmm. the things that I coach people on that work, why do they work? You know, why is it great to have a hook when you start a conversation (laughs) or a presentation? Why do you know, I know it works, but why? So I like digging into the why of it and, you know, almost putting together kind of my own, you know, my own education on that to, to shore up all the real world training that I've had. So I've gone deep into that. (laughs) Um, and, you know, as we kind of talked about with the mm-hmm. um, being more Zen, you mm-hmm. know, meditation and mindfulness has been mm-hmm. a topic I've found really interesting. And so um, I have started practicing that as well as learning more about it um, and learning more to the same thread. Why does that work? Why, if I sit for 20 minutes with mm-hmm. my eyes closed and I let the thoughts come and go, 
why do I feel so much better after that? <laughs> why am I calmer? You know, why do I approach life in a better way and make better decisions? And I love learning about why. So those are some threats. Thing. So how did you, because your, your corporate world, your legal world is quite div mm. quite different what you're doing now. What was the the, the change, the linchpin that you kind of go, okay, I'm going to make this leap from, you know, paycheck and employee essentially to the risk taking entrepreneur um, looking after people. Yeah. You know, it is, it is different in some ways, but the same in others. Mm -hmm. I have spent my entire career telling stories. Right. And uh, I'm not telling them in the courtroom necessarily myself now, but I'm telling mm -hmm. them in different ways and, and coaching and training mm -hmm. people on how to tell them. So that mm -hmm. thread, the thread of the storytelling and mm -hmm. learning to be engaging and persuasive, that's still there. Okay. Um, but yes, being an entrepreneur, my goodness, you know, you asked what... Um, what traits I wish I had. And I'm going to go back if allowed, allowed and yeah. say, I also wish I was more comfortable with taking risks. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was more of a risk taker, um, which I, I think I was more in the beginning of my career. And then as mm -hmm. I got older, more established, mm -hmm. you know, it makes sense that I wasn't as much. Yeah. So I made that leap. Um, I call myself sometimes the reluctant entrepreneur. I okay. didn't set out to do it. Right. Um, I made that leap because of, uh, about six years ago, uh, my husband had a job opportunity in Denver. Mm -hmm. right. And it was one of those things where we kind of looked at each other and said, oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's move. <laughs> let's move our, our three elementary school age children. Right. I'll quit my job. You'll start a new one to Denver from New York. <laughs> and, you know, it was just one of those intuitive things that it mm -hmm. just felt right. And we did it. And so there's something about a cross country move. Right. Um, that really opens up your thinking. And I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do next. So right. as I, you know, I got my Colorado law license, I interviewed right. to maybe practice law. Mm -hmm. And as I continued to do these things, it really taught me like, I don't, I don't want to practice law anymore. <laughs> you know, I'd make it halfway yeah. through the interview and the recruiter and I would look at each other and she, you know, they'd say, this isn't for you, right? I'm like, this is so not for me. What do you want to talk about? Let's talk about something else. Um, you know, it just, I learned it wasn't for me and so, I, I couldn't find exactly what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. That job didn't seem to exist, right. so I made it. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'm going to have to figure it out and make it myself. And I just started thinking, you know, these are the things I know how to do. Right. I can learn how to run a business. Yeah. I can start to build a community around mm -hmm. me of other people who are doing this that I can learn from and start putting myself out there. And so I did. Um, the, the thread that also runs through... Mm -hmm. As I looked back, and of course, when we look back, it makes more sense, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to <laughs> when we're going through it is, you know, in every job, you know, regular mm -hmm. non-risk taking job that I had, uh, yeah. um, I was an entrepreneur of sorts, mm -hmm. you know, as a prosecutor, I, I had my own caseload. You know, I, I made those schedules. I decided what I was going to do. I figured out my plea bargains and my trials and all that. So I had kind of my own little area, you know, as 
um, a legal educator, I developed my my own slate of programs. You know, I was creative. Nobody was telling me I had to do a certain thing or not. I got kind of free reign on different projects and different things and had, you know, my own little portfolio of things that I got to do, which was wonderful within a big corporation. And so I had a little bit of practice doing it. But you're right, it is not the same. <laughs> the risk is is so different. Mm-hmm. And so I think just a combination of all those things mm-hmm. and wanting to do something kind of like those quotes, wanting mm-hmm. to do something that made me feel alive. Yeah. Made me yeah. feel really good and and felt like the right thing. Yeah. It's uh, my mainstay has always been, I think I learned this a long time ago, is what wakes you up, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Like, like I'm still at the stage where I've been in this for 40, the photography now for 42 years. I still get up like I can't wait to start the day and see what's gonna, what it's going to bring. What are you curious about now? Oh, gosh. I am kind of curious about, you know, where, where things are going. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am... You know, certainly with with business that's so interesting, I get mm-hmm. to delve into all these different things that people are doing. I get mm-hmm. to speak to entrepreneurs about companies that they're building. I get to have all these worlds open mm-hmm. to me that I never really got to see before. And that curiosity, I mean, that just really carries me. So I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how that goes. <laughs> um, and you know, a, a huge part now is my family. Yeah. I have um, these three teenagers who are just growing up and experiencing the world in a really interesting way. And I am always just curious about, you know, well, of course, where they're going and what they're doing. It's always <laughs> nice to know those no, things yeah. when they share. Right. Um, but just really what, what their lives are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really kind of fascinates me as, as I watch them. They're all in high school and, and think about their next steps. And I have a curiosity about that. <laughs> so what's something you failed at that just did not go as you wanted it to? Oh, goodness. Um, that is such a good question. I'm trying to think about, you know, there was, there was a job I wanted mm-hmm. that I worked really hard to try to get went through interview after interview after interview and got to the final interview. Mm -hmm. And you'll guess how this goes. Didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, it it was crushing Mm -hmm. because I really thought my career had to follow a certain path. Right. But what I ultimately, you know, kind of learned from it And it took a long time, long time, (laughs) years to learn this, Mm -hmm. um, was that, you know, I didn't need that job to be successful, Mm -hmm. that I could go on and do other things without having to have that particular job on my resume and that it would still be okay. But at the time, you know, it felt like my world came tumbling down. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Like that's because you clearly overcome yeah. it and have moved on to it. That's a, a skill that people love to know. What parts of your personality or tools did you use to kind of get through that and and move on? Grow? Well, I, 
I think with this particular one, I went through the stages of grief mm -hmm. <laughs> with it. You know, I mean, I really did. I think yeah. I, I, you know, took the reject. Yeah. I'll date myself at the time I actually got a rejection letter. Okay. It wasn't an email. <laughs> you know, I took it, I hid it in a drawer and I, yeah. I pretended it didn't exist, exist. For, wow. for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I just kind of kept moving forward mm -hmm. into different things. And the irony is, is by the time I had moved forward enough in my career that mm -hmm. I probably could have gone back and maybe gotten that job. Right. I didn't really want it so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the tools, you know, I mean, gosh, I was, I have to say, I was not good at this. Mm -hmm. I was not resilient at the time. Mm -hmm. I was heartbroken. And the tools that I look back now, and this was many years ago, so mm -hmm. um, it took many years to come to terms with, with that, mm -hmm. is kind of what I was talking about before, that I, I would encourage people, and I try to do this you know, with my kids and mm -hmm. try to do it with, with some younger lawyers who, who I mentor, to understand that there is no one clear path. There mm -hmm. does not need to be. You know, careers mm -hmm. don't need to look that way anymore. Um, they can be circular. You can take a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. You can try something different. Um, you know, there are so many, you know, ways of kind of bringing your skills and, and your experiences and your talents mm -hmm. into the world. And it's, it's good not to put them all kind of put all your eggs into one basket, mm -hmm. you know, and let somebody else make a decision for you about your career mm -hmm. or about anything. Um, you know, I let that really affect who I thought I was and the skills and abilities I had. Mm -hmm. I wasn't any different the day I got rejected <laughs> right. than the day before or the day after. Mm -hmm. And so having, you know, I think especially for women, having that confidence to know mm -hmm. what you can do and not giving other people power over it. But it has taken me many, many years to get there. So hopefully, maybe that will help people listening to, to make a quicker trip than I did to that. <laughs> that would be useful. <laughs> what is the essence of women can acquire power? Like what is it a mental state? Is, is it a financial state? Like where can a, when a woman can sit back and say, here's, here's where I have my own personal power. Well, how can they acquire that or improve it? Wow. That's... Um, how much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> I'll give you 30 seconds to answer that one. <laughs> awesome. I'll get you a soundbite, Mark. Get right in there. Wow. That's, you know, that that is, it depends on a lot of things. I mean, mm -hmm. it depends on what kind of power do you want to have, mm -hmm. you know, as a woman and what's important to you. You know, what, when I look at, you know, my mother, mm -hmm. My, you know, and it, it was certainly very different at the time that my parents were, mm -hmm. were getting married and, and raising children. Um, the kind of power my mother wanted, if, and she wouldn't have even thought of it as power, mm -hmm. was the comfort and ability to be able to stay home with her children mm -hmm. and to raise them in the way that was um, meaningful to her mm -hmm. and the freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. So she had that, you yeah. know, she was fortunate. She had that. She was able to do that. That's one type of power. Yeah. Um, you know, there's also a, a certain power in, you know, do, what do women want to acquire? Do they want to have the power for an education? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have the power to advance in certain fields? You, wanna, you know, it is, uh, 
you know, Colorado recently passed, Colorado where I am mm -hmm. now, passed right. an equal pay for equal work law. Mm -hmm. so that all job descriptions in Colorado have to show the pay range. Mm -hmm. And that is a way of giving women power, so that when women are looking at where they want to go in their career, they are not going to end up, hopefully, being paid any less than a man applying for yeah. the same job because it's transparent and it's out there and it's the law. Yeah. So that's that's a way of power. I mean, it it really depends on the kind of power you, you want, to get. want to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can essentially just take it. Like, like that's the, th the thing that for a lot of people is you can simply say this is this is what I have to say. This is my my personal thing. A lot of the power I've, I've discovered has comes from the word no. But that, that word you learned mm -hmm. so early. Is it's, if you have the power to say no, you have an immense amount of power because you, you you then have to give yourself options and choices. Yeah. And the power to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. No is a decision. It is. Not an easy one for people. Um, I think often people don't want to make a decision, and not mm -hmm. making a decision is kind of a decision. Oh, it is. <laughs> the, the world moves on. I think a lot of people get for, they get forgetful that if you, by saying yes to everything, you've, you've charted, especially if you say yes to stuff you can't do. And I've always, that's always confused me, about right? People saying yes and they can't do it. And so it doesn't really get done. It just sort of shuffles off. And I think if you just said no, then I could have moved on myself. And so it makes yeah. my life easier. Yeah. I, people find it hard to say no. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so. they don't want to disappoint other people. Yeah. Or they just don't want to give up on the option sometimes, right? They have yeah. the option of something and they don't want to give up on it. It's a, yeah. I, I've, I love chaos and I always, I exist as in, that's my creativity exists. And of course, as soon as you start making choices, your creativity starts to disappear and it, because you, you make decide this, then all of a sudden you only have these options, they kind of fill down to it. Well, this There's, has been fascinating. I've had a delightful time with you. As have I. There's a certain beauty in chaos, isn't there? A there certain is. calm in the chaos that is a yeah, the, wonderful uh, creative place to uh, exist. The, uh, the eye of the storm, and it's this quiet place, and then you step into the chaos, and that's when, um, as you make decisions in chaos, the chaos disappears. And yet there's, there's a point where the chaos is the most fruitful for an artist. And I use the term artist very mm -hmm. loosely because uh, like there's legal artists with what they do is creative. There's in every vocation walk of life, you have to make creative choices because that's all the choices are creative. You're going to do something with them. And so I just love the, the moment of chaos before it, it becomes overwhelming, but you maybe can tame it. Anyways, that's my oh, story. <laughs> you are, no, you are speaking my language. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone verbalize exactly the way I feel about chaos in the way that you just did. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. That is cool. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. It has been a delightful conversation with Lori. Uh, in the bio area, they'll have some links. Uh, Lori is a great communicator. Just tell us briefly what your job is, like what you do now. Yes. Um, besides surviving every day with three teenagers, <laughs> um, I, I am a uh, communications coach, trainer and speaker. Mm -hmm. I work with executives, entrepreneurs and trial lawyers to help them tell persuasive and engaging stories in the courtroom, mm -hmm. the boardroom and on television. <laughs> That is great. So all that's there. And of course, you can reach her from any point in view, but her website's amazing. Um, thank you so much, Lori. It has been a delightful conversation. And goodbye, everyone. See you next time. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. 
This has been Fascinating Women with Mark Laurie. Join us on our website and subscribe at fascinatingwomen.ca. Fascinating Women has been sponsored by Inner Spirit Photography of Calgary, Alberta and is produced in Calgary by Lee Ellis and My Office Media.